Amen. Amen. Well, if that doesn't let your fire, your wood's wet. This is uh, a great joy to be back at our, uh, our Phoenix. Thank you, brother, for our uh, great to be back at our church home here in Arizona. And uh, I'm very happy that I did not. My name is James McDonald. I've been here a bit before, but I, I didn't get introduced today. And uh, which I'm taking that as a real positive. Just turn to your neighbor and say, I guess he's family now. We're very, very, very grateful to uh, love, love, love Pastor Ryan, Pastor Amy, love them. And uh, God gives him wisdom. More than two months ago, he called and said, I'm going to take a one-week break right before we open the new building. I want you to preach. So I'm like in the bullpen, right? And they like call for the left-hander. And... Uh, so um, let's pray for them right now. God, we love our pastor, uh, Amy, and Pastor Ryan. We're thankful for their faithful ministry here, but it, we are not blind to the reality of what working all week and working all weekend uh, takes out of a person. God, you know I understand that. So I pray that they'd be refreshed today, and I pray that this little uh, time that we have in uh, your word would uh, minister to us and elicit from us a deeper gratefulness for the things that we were just singing about. You are the way maker where there is no way. And we thank you that you are the healer and the miracle worker. Our God, that is who you are. We love you. We love your ways. We love your name. Jesus, amen. Amen. All right. Well, um, we're in uh, Luke chapter 17. You want to head over there? I promise we'll get something out of God's word today. Uh, Luke, in fact, if you could just uh, stop before we stop everyone, before we set up the Christmas tree and put up all the lights, and I'm sure you're doing a lot of that already, but before we get into all the great that is to come, I think sometimes we think that turkey and Thanksgiving are uh, synonymous and they're not, and as I prayed about this, I thought we could spend just a little bit of time making sure that we haven't missed the powerful message of what thankfulness really is. This message is called the Gratitude Attitude, and um, any of you all fly a lot, fly very much? I, I used to fly a ton, still fly way too much, don't like it. Always hate when you feel that bump, bump, you know, and like, where's this going? I told, told the men back in October that when the plane would lurch or there would be big turbulence, I used to, when I was young, I was like, oh, no, oh, no. I'm a little older. I'm kind of like, eh. You know, I've had a good life, and I got the life insurance all purchased. Heaven would be awesome, you know. And, uh, but regardless of that, I, I um, got thinking this week about plane crashes. You know, Thanksgiving and everything. There's been a lot of them. American Airlines Flight 191, 273 fatalities. American Airlines Flight 587, 265 fatalities. American Airlines, no, they're not all American Airlines. I'm just joking. <laughs> Transworld uh, Flight 800, 230 passengers. Northwest Airlines, 250, 556 more. I'm going to tell you about the fifth largest one at the end of the message, but um, you're like, why are you talking about plane crashes? It's an analogy. Why do planes crash? 
Why do the planes crash? Well, it's because of the terrorists. Well, it could be, could be that. could be a bomb. By the way, don't say bomb on a plane. It's not good. I'll save that story for another day. It's because of somebody put something in their bottle of Listerine. Well, that's what we all have to take out at the airport now, and that's why we can't wear shoes and all the rest of it. But planes actually crash. If you want to get to the heart of it, they crash because they lose altitude. They're not flying high enough. And here's the analogy, because planes don't just crash. People do. Why do people crash? Same reason they lose altitude. And we're supposed to be flying up here where the air is clean and bright and beautiful and is like the promises of God. And instead, a lot of times we end up down here. So here's the whole message in a sentence. Gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for living. I've written a whole book on this. Attitudes are are patterns of thinking formed over a long period of time. And gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for living. And I want to show this to you uh, from the passage of Scripture we were just uh, looking at. If we can, if you know what it's like to crash, if you know what it's like to have a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, and your thinking is not what it was, and how do I get back to where I was? How do I get past these things I experienced? How do I get into the sunny, bright, high altitude, above the clouds, future. How do I get out of this down here and all that? It's gratitude. Gratitude is the attitude. I wish it didn't rhyme because it sounds like I'm trying to be silly, but I'm not. It's not my fault that gratitude and attitude rhyme. (laughs) Yet it's true that gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for living. The funny thing is if you Google that, it's a, that quote is ascribed to me. I've been saying that for 30 plus years. But it isn't really original with me. So every time I preach on it, I have to say this. I'm not the first person to say that, but I can't remember anymore who was the first person to say that. And as far as the Internet's concerned, I originated it. But if, you, if you're the person who came up with that, you happen to be here today, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll work it out with you after the service. <laughs> Thankful for you. Ready? If you're ready to jump into God's word, say jump. jump. Luke 17, 11, on the way to Jerusalem, they were walking, Jesus and the disciples. He was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Not too much about the Samaritans except to say that they had, uh, the Jews had intermarried in some instances with the nations they were supposed to drive out of the land. And some of those were called Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews because they were all high and mighty. They had the temple there in Jerusalem. And and the Jews hated the Samaritans because they were half-breeds, so to speak, intermarried. By the way, the Bible never condemns interracial marriage. It condemns interfaith marriage. And that was the objection that they had to the Samaritans. They allowed idol worship as well as worshiping the one true God. Say, move on. Verse 12. Has that ever happened? You got like more to say than I have time to say. Verse 12. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers. A lot of people think leprosy has been eradicated in our day. It has not. Here's a couple of pictures of people with a leprosy. Um, and then a hand, a more modern uh, picture. Um, 
The world's oldest and most reviled disease, a leprosy, a dreaded affliction which mutilates and causes horrible disfigurement, was believed to be highly contagious. It carried the stigma of being a living death. Its victims were given a funeral before they even died and just told you you need to leave, go be by yourself. And the inheritance actually passed to the family members before the person was even dead because they were considered dead while they were walking. And um, in medieval times, as well as New Testament times, they were banished to leper colonies or islands condemned to wander wearing a sign or ringing bells. In fact, if someone were to approach them who was unaware, they had to shout, unclean, unclean. Imagine that. And so with that as a backdrop, uh, back to the text, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, passing between Samaria and Galilee, the Jewish people would actually walk around Samaria. They were so prejudiced, and that's so wrong. And as he entered a village, he was met by, now you get it, 10 lepers. Not one. How many? Come on. 10 lepers who stood at a distance like they were supposed to. And, and unclean, he's coming, Jesus coming with the disciples. Unclean, unclean. And you know the disciples, they're freaking out, right? Because like, I don't want to go live on that island. And, and they're like, they're looking at Jesus and what's going to happen now? And, and the scene was actually probably pretty tense. He entered the village. He's met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, that's awesome. They must have heard of him. Have mercy on us. Wow. And when he saw them, he, he must have heard them yelling, have mercy on us. And our situation is desperate. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Which is kind of remarkable. Very rarely was anyone ever healed of leprosy, but if they were healed of it, the law demanded that they had to go to the priest and get some bill of health. They had to go and say, hey, I don't I mean, I was, I was gone, and they had to inspect them and make sure he was, she was okay before they could be returned to society. But it's interesting because Jesus just says, and there's something in this coming right now. Jesus says, go and show yourself to the priest. We're like, aren't we missing a step? <laughs> Where's the, you're healed part? Notice this in the text. When he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were healed. As they went, they were healed. Now, this is a message on thankfulness, but as a preacher, I would be derelict in my duty if I didn't point out to you that they had to be moving in the direction of the miracle that they were longing for before the miracle happened. So if the miracle's upstairs, why are you in your basement? And if the miracle's across the street, why are you at your house? And if the miracle's over at church, why are you home? You have to be moving in the direction of your miracle in order for it to come to you. How much don't we see because, like the widow, we won't gather the oil. Like the shepherd boy, 
we won't take our sling and some stones and approach our giant. You have, I think I preached on this here before. You have to, if you want to see a miracle, you have to be doing by faith. Let me give you a scripture and a little quote to go with this. Here it is. Conduct yourself like a person who has already received the miracle. And according to your faith, it will be granted to you. Well, I want my prodigal to come home. Well, how many hours this week did you spend lamenting their prodigal living? Thinking of them as that. Treating them as that. Instead of how God sees them. The end from the beginning. Where they'll be, not where they are. Mark 9, 29. Then he touched their eyes and said to them, According to your faith, so be it unto you. And how many people are at church today with little knapsack full of the things you want to see God do, but they've almost become beefs because you haven't seen God do it yet. Instead of, according to your faith, so be it unto you. Instead of believing God for those things and moving toward those things, notice, I'm trying to read through the text, but I keep falling into preaching it. And as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. That's so, so awesome. All of the lepers were cleansed. These 10 men represent all of humanity, discolored by sin, unclean before God, in need of his mercy and forgiveness. Turn to your neighbor and say, like me, like me. And they were, 10 of them were healed physically, but only one of them was healed spiritually. The difference is the gratitude. Note this, everyone needs the Lord. Everyone needs the Lord. Say it. Come on, lift up your voice. Say it with conviction. Say it. Everyone needs the Lord. Everyone needs the Lord. All 10 needed this healing, but Jesus wanted to do far more than to heal their bodies. He's not interested in rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. He, want, doesn't, want to, he doesn't want to impact a life for the next 10 minutes. Hey, I know the ship's sinking, but would you like a sandwich? <laughs> not Jesus, right? He wanted to change them eternally. The problem was, just like the cities that he didn't work in anymore because they had no faith, Faith begins with thankfulness. Faith begins with thankfulness. In fact, make a note of this. Faith grows in the soil of thankfulness. Faith grows in the soil of thankfulness. And if you're here at church today, uh, here in this room, or by God's grace, if you're on one of our other campuses, South Mountain, Fountain Hills, and you're here by God's grace at church today, at Generation Church today, and you need to see God do more, than you're seeing God do currently. See if maybe thankfulness couldn't be the match that reignites the faith that gets you moving toward the miracle. Now, on to, on to this matter of thankfulness. Everyone needs the Lord, but note this. Only a few thank him personally. How many people in your city ever really have thanked God for their life, for his wonderful works in our lives? How many people on your street? How many people 
in your house. Everyone needs the Lord, but only a few thank him personally. Notice Luke 17, 15. Therefore, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, one of them, not 10 of them, not six of them, not three of them, one of them. How many were healed? Tell me. 10 healed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. Nine walking away. And, you know, kind of excited to be healed. It wasn't like they weren't in their hearts grateful. That's what we would say, wouldn't we? Well, I was grateful in my heart. But did you say it? Did you say it? Did you take the time, you know, I'm kind of an outgoing guy. and Hands up, extroverts. Extroverts, they can't wait to wake, raise their hands up. But watch, watch this now. Hands up, introverts. They're like, nope. <laughs> extroverts get hammered a lot. We deserve it. This on you, introvert. You didn't say it. But I felt it. You didn't say it. You didn't say it. We're always getting pounded about all the dumb stuff we said. Whether your inclination is many words or few words, whether your relation style is outward or more reflective, all have the same duty to express their thankfulness. Everyone needs the Lord. Only a few thank him personally. So, there it is. Gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for living. Look at this guy here. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he, what's it say? Fell on his face. Humility, right? He's getting saved here, y'all. Fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, thankfulness is such a powerful thing that it actually transforms the one who is thankful. It actually transforms them. Gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for living. And there is a life like this that soars above it all, where the air is clean and the sun is shining and this future is as bright as the promises of God. Some of you at church here today, that's where you're living right now. You're just soaring. You're just soaring, and your eyes are on God, and things are going great, and you have so much to be grateful for, and we're kind of irritated by you. <laughs> because, note this too, attitudes sour in the life that is close to thankfulness. Soon selfish attitudes take over. And the life is closed to better things. No more soaring for me. Crash is coming. Why? Because if gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for living, and I'm kind of cheesed about some things that happened, and some things that haven't happened yet, and, and I mean, there's two realities, right? Reality number one, there's a lot to complain about. True or false? Everybody agree with that? In fact, as I say it, my mind is saying, tell them things. 
give examples. But I'm going to resist that temptation. We've, come on, somebody say we've all heard a lot of that. So that's reality one. There's lots to complain about, but here's reality two. There's a lot to be thankful for. There's a lot to be thankful for. And so I want you to see that, I mean, this man's life has changed here. And um, everyone needs the Lord. Only a few are thanking him. And um, thankfulness is a decision. It's a decision. It's just a choice that I make. Like any other choice that I make. I love this scripture. This is the version that I memorized. Psalm 107, verse 8. Um, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his wonderful works to the children of men. It's all right there, right? Oh! Because it's not like, oh, oh. It's not like that. It's a longing. Oh, oh, that men. This is what the writer of Scripture was longing for. This is what the Holy Spirit inspired. This is what heaven is leaning into. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his wonderful works to the children of men as we were just singing and trying to do that very thing. Heaven looks for this and longs for this. And yet it's found in such short supply. But yes, thankfulness is a decision. Let me give you a little illustration of that. This is a picture of Daniel Defoe. He lived in the uh, late 16 and early 1700s, 1660 to 1731. Does anyone know who that is? He is the author of the most translated book other than the Bible in the world in history. Uh, The title of the book that he wrote in 1719, uh, Robinson Crusoe. It's the story of a man who was shipwrecked on a desert island and left alone not another human companion in the story for 27 years. Can you imagine? Not seeing or speaking to another human being for 27 years. Left there alone. And in the book, may I read a small portion to you? This is quite powerful on the subject of thankfulness. It says this. Crusoe wrote in his journal, journal, I now began to consider seriously my condition and the circumstance I was reduced to. I drew up the state of my affairs in writing to deliver my thoughts from daily pouring over them and afflicting my mind. Ding, ding, ding. As my reasoning began now to master my despondency, I started to comfort myself as well as I could. And to set the good against the evil that I might have something to distinguish my case from the one that is much worse. Well done. So I stated it very impartially, like a debit or credit, the comforts I enjoyed and the miseries I suffered. Here's what he wrote in his journal from the book. Number one, the complaint. I'm singled out and separate, as it were, from all the world to be miserable. But, always comes down to the but, doesn't it? I am singled out too from all the ship's crew, the only one to be spared from death. God who miraculously saved me from death can deliver me from this condition also. Good. Then the negative, I have no clothes to cover me. But the thankfulness, 
But I'm in a hot climate where if I had clothes, I could not wear them. And then the negative. I'm without any defense or means to resist any violence of man or beast, but, and all God's people said, come on, guys. Look, I want another try. Okay, okay. And all God's people said, but I'm cast on an island where I see no wild beast to hurt me as I saw on the coast of Africa. What if I had been shipwrecked there? And lastly, I have no, no soul to speak to or to relieve me. But God wonderfully sent the ship in near enough to shore that I've gotten out so many necessary things as will supply my wants or even enable me to supply myself as long as I shall live. That's an amazing discipline, y'all. And I commend to you, if you've been down here a little bit, but just, just, got, just got to church, just been down here a bit, instead of trying, do you know the psychologist would tell you, I learned this the hard way. The harder you try not to think about something, the more you think about it. I need something different to think about, and that's what I'm giving you right now. Think about what you're thankful for. Do this, y'all. This isn't a pep talk. This isn't some positive mental attitude, smiley preacher. This is like a legit thing. Go home, get a piece of paper, write down if you need to the things that are difficult, but right beside them, the corresponding blessings and points of thankfulness that you have. And begin to run your mind, not over the things that you wish were, not over the things that can never be, but in anticipation of the things that will be by faith, begin to focus on and thank God for the many blessings that you already have. Amen. Thankfulness is a choice. Oh, that men would give, let's put the verse up again, Oh, that men would give thanks. Notice it doesn't say could. Because if it said could, that would be on God. If you hadn't made me like this. If you hadn't made me all like negative and stuff like that. You didn't come into the world negative, bro. You've worked hard at that. Yeah, well, if you had to go through what I've gone through, we can compare wounds later. If you want to, I got a good set myself. But I want to make a better choice because heaven is longing for me and for you to hear this message. They see us with our groveling and our grumbling and our complaining that the Bible has not very much good to say about. God killed off a whole generation over the murmuring thing, right? He's not a big fan of that. They're never up in heaven going, yeah, he has a point. He has a point there. That's never happening. What they're doing in heaven is they're saying, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his wonderful works to the children of men. And it is a choice. And beyond that, thankfulness is a decision. And beyond that, a thankfulness is powerful. It's very powerful. It's life-changing, in fact. Nine guys got healed, as far as we know, went to hell. It was good for a bit. One guy, only thing different, back before the Lord, humble and grateful. I got kind of lost in this in the last message, so I'm not going to let fall in that hole again. I'll just say it really simply. There's a lot in the New Testament about the key ingredient of thankfulness. I'll give you two examples. 
Number one, in the downward spiral of sin mentioned in Romans chapter one, where it says, though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. And you say, well, but maybe, maybe they don't know God. No, Titus 2.11 says, the grace of God which brings salvation has appeared to all men. And what is the grace of God that brings salvation that has appeared to all men? It's this. Creation. Have you ever stood on a beach on a moonlit night with the stars in the sky dancing in a choreography that staggers the mind? Have you not said within yourself, there's a God, there has to be a God. And a beautiful oceanscape or a mountain range or holding, we had a little granddaughter, grandchild number nine. My daughter had a daughter the beginning of this month and to hold little Penelope in my hands. From an explosion in space? Are you like crazy? I mean, can you throw a stick of dynamite into a printing factory and get the Declaration of Independence? Well, if you had enough dynamite. No. No, that is wrong. Some things are beyond statistical probability and they couldn't happen no matter how many times you did it. And just the complexity of the human life, let alone this universe, creation is shouting, creator. Creation is shouting, there's a God, there's a God, there's a God. And the Bible says that he has placed eternity in our hearts, but the proverb says the fool has said in his heart, there's no God. But the real reason why we say that is because according to Romans 1, we are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. We don't want their to be a God. And Romans chapter one has this really interesting little phrase. I don't want to misquote it. I think I have it memorized, but I want to give it to you perfectly. Here it is. For what can be known about God, verse 19, is plain to them. His invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, it says. That's like Baltic Avenue, right? Did you ever play Monopoly? So there's go, and then there's, tell me, Baltic Avenue is right there. And the first step in faith is, thank you. Thank you. That's the grace of God that brings salvation and spirit to all men. Everyone sees creation. Everyone knows in their heart, eternity. That's the first thing. The first thing is thank you. Thank you, God. I'll give you one more example really quickly. Philippians chapter four. If you've been struggling with anxiety and fear, uncertainty about the future, worry, Philippians 4 says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Don't just come to God, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. Come with some thanksgiving. It blesses the heart of God. 
and it feeds your faith. God, I'm here today and I have some things that I need. I need them desperately. I fear that I'll begin to weep as I say them out loud. But before I say another word, I want to thank you, God, that that you are this and that you are this and that you have been this and that you have proven this. You've been a shelter, Lord, through every generation. People with these burdens that I come before you with today have called upon you through the centuries and the millennium and found you faithful. And I'm here today to seek your face and to bring my petitions as I've been invited. My heart has been a tempest when it should be tranquil. And I need your peace. And so let me begin just to thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. It's so powerful. How'd how'd you do at Thanksgiving on the thankfulness thing? Gobble, gobble. Gobble, gobble. We're really good at the gobble thing. It's almost like eating turkey and being thankful. We get them confused. I think that's the same thing, right? Dude, I was so stuffed. Well, you must have been so thankful, right? Maybe not, though. Both of our sons, Kathy, was, my wife was in the first service. Both of our sons are pastors preaching every weekend now. Praise God for them. We were at our son Landon's home for this Thanksgiving, and wisely he did this after the meal. And he said, okay, everybody, from the three-year-old all the way up to grandpa got their chance to say what they were thankful for. This year I said that I... Maybe because I've been thinking about all of y'all this week, getting ready for this. I said that I'm thankful for thankfulness. I'm thankful for the powerful, powerful thing called thankfulness. For, For the gratitude that sets the altitude for living. I'm convicted by the word of God. I'm determined afresh to let thankfulness be the priority of my thought life. And I'm stating publicly in front of my brothers and sisters in what is now our winter church home, and we're very grateful for it. I'm just saying that I'm, I'm really grateful to God, and I told my whole family that I'm thankful for thankfulness. I'm thankful for how it can clear the dark skies and get me up again above the clouds where the future is bright and the promises of God are ahead. Thankfulness is how you, can't say it better, gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for living. So when I think about the days and weeks that are ahead for this wonderful church, I appreciated last week Pastor Ryan's emphasis on an exposition of Hebrews chapter 10 and not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But I want to just remind us, we should be so thankful for a church to be part of where God is actually working. God is actually working here. And and that's not always the case in every church. And some of us have lived long enough to spend long seasons where church was a responsibility but not always a delight. And to come here and to sing God's praises and to hear God's word opened by our pastor week after week after week and to be challenged and to be stirred about what matters in this life and to be served by this incredible staff. We are blessed. I am a volunteer in this church and I'm quite happy about it and I feel so blessed to be part of it. And last week when he was up here preaching on the, I love the part about, hey, you you shouldn't have to get up on Sundays and decide 
if you're going to church. There's no decision, y'all. If your kid comes up to you and, and says, hey, are we going to church this weekend? You should be like, did you hurt your head? <laughs> of course, we're going to church. Are the doors open? First things belong to God. The first portion of my day. The first portion of my income. The first day of the week. We're here beginning another week today. And we're beginning it in God's house. And this should be, how many times have you been in God's house at a weekend worship service in 2022? Just do the calcs right now and do it. It would be pretty awesome if the number begins with five. But if it doesn't begin with four, y'all, that's a fail. Well, we were traveling. Find one. Well, like I watched online. Can I help you with that? Thank God for the service online for people who can't get to church. Amen? For people who can't get to church. Key word is can't. They can't get there. But God's made some promises about when we're together that don't extend to when we're apart. This is God's manifest presence. God's omnipresence promises that he's everywhere. God's manifest presence promises that when we gather together, he is here. How many people getting saved in your basement? Well, I'd like for some to. Great, that's, we'll save that for a different time. Your thinking's not awesome here. We need to get to church every week. You say, well, you're preaching to the people that are already here. I get that. So take what I'm saying and the things which you've heard from me among many witnesses, the same commit to others. Okay? This is a very, very important thing that worship is how the week begins. And it doesn't happen. I was just thinking about this is the last time that we'll worship in this room as a church. Take a minute right now and think about all the things that God has done in your life in this room. I told you I had one more plane crash for you. This is something that's very personal to me. Many years ago now, I got a letter from a lady, dear Pastor McDonald, several weeks ago while we were visiting your church in Chicago. Um, we had the privilege of attending on a Saturday evening Meaningful worship, your sermon from the book of Colossians. The main reason I'm writing is to tell you that we thought you might be interested in knowing. You might remember almost a year ago now, a young Wheaton College couple was on the ill-fated Swiss Air Flight 111 that went down off the coast of Nova Scotia. They were our daughter and son-in-law. We learned several months ago that the one thing they had retrieved and identified as, and she gives her daughter's name, was her Bible. It has since been returned to us in amazingly good shape for having been in 190 feet of water. We can even read her handwritten notes from the worship service at your church. This is so exciting to us to think that the plane exploded. There were not bodies to identify, only fragments, and yet the word of God survived. It reminded us of Isaiah 48, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. We could even read her message notes. Five keys to family remodeling. It was so appropriate as she and her husband were dedicated parents to their twin-year-old, twin two-year-old boys. 
of anything of hers that might have survived the accident. There isn't anything in the world we'd want more than her Bible. Knowing how meaningful it was to her, wow. And how much she strove to be a woman of excellence for God. That's the thing right there. No matter what happens to me, God is trying to move me to the place. God is trying to move you to the place. In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. All right, and I can give thanks in everything. I might not be thankful for my husband, but I'm thankful for my kids. But Ephesians goes on to say, giving thanks to God at all times for all things. Because he's sovereign and he rules the universe and he has control of everything that's going on in my life and I can thank him even for the hardest things. It takes a while to get there sometimes. I've been working on a couple of really tough thankfulnesses. But I'm thankful to be here. And I'm thankful to open God's word with you. Bow with me right now and just take a moment. And I want you to locate in your life before we sing, before we go, I want you to locate a couple of specific things that God has done in your life in this room. Many of you were saved here in this room. Thank you, God, for this room. People gave generously here. And I didn't know anything about it, and then I came here. Thank you, God. Many of you have had relationships, marriages, and other things you've seen God heal during the time you were worshiping here. And some have broken addictions and got free from other sinful patterns. And here today in our final moments in this place, before the exciting time next weekend, and the opportunity for generosity the week after that, but right here, right now, Thank you, God. Heaven must be smiling. By faith, I can see the thanksgiving flowing up to heaven out of this room right now. A pleasing aroma to our Father. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Some of you might want to just take the hand of the person beside you and let them know, despite, here we are. God's still on the throne. Nothing is over. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And we begin to soar. The air is cleaner. And joy can flourish again. Make us grateful people. Make us thankful people. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.